Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. The intersection of information and conversation. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's news talk, TNT. Welcome back to hour three of Weekends with Jason Olborn, Sunday edition. It's been a terrific show so far, and it's just going to warm up even more. We've had Patrick Burns talking about the coin store and the money laundering operation that he helped, or he in fact was the star who brought down a massive crime syndicate. In the last hour, we heard from Alastair Pope, an Australian veteran, Lieutenant Colonel, who has made a life in Vietnam after serving there. An adventure that goes on and on. Quite incredible story. Well, in this hour, we're going to head over to Russia for an update from Amira Tarada, who's a journalist who is going to talk about some stories that don't necessarily permeate into the mainstream. The work that she's been doing at the Foundation for to Battle Injustice, I should would say is quite incredible and she works tirelessly there. She has worked in the largest financial institutions and IT companies both in Russia and abroad and participated in the implementation of the anti-plagiarism program for higher education institutions in the Netherlands and the UK. In December of 2018, she was detained at the Finnish airport in the transit zone at the request of the United States on trumped-up charges. She was extradited to the US from Finland and sentenced to two and a half years in prison on the basis of confessions signed whilst under duress. Now she returned to Russia. She works to address human rights violations, support civil activists, provide legal assistance and financial support to victims of judicial injustice, police brutality and political persecution. The Foundation to Battle Injustice is concerned about where Western arms will fall and the consequences of their use by terrorist and criminal groups around the world. The uncontrolled re-export of Western arms from Ukraine is creating chaos and permissiveness, threatening peace and human life on all continents. Its further re-export can lead to tragedies and humanitarian disasters, with the battle to uh, Foundation to Battle Injustice calling on international organisations to thoroughly investigate the export of Western weapons from the territory of Ukraine. Mira Tarada, welcome to Weekends. Hello, thank you for having me over. Lovely to have you on the show and uh, your work never seems to end. You are a warrior in all senses of the word. And now you are a journalist doing work and getting the stories out there. Now, what we're dealing with now is the... Um, the battle and the consequences of unlimited money thrown at the um, opposition to Russia, this war in Ukraine, I suppose, but the West through NATO uh, with this open checkbook and the virtual printing of money and weapons, it has other consequences because war is not honest, as we all know. War is where the worst of the worst can happen. Obviously, there's good things that can come out of it in the end, but it takes people power. But when people are determined to do other things and fight and hurt people and innocent people along the way, there's another side to the story. So can you start by telling us today, what is the latest that's going on all the way up to the top in Ukraine and Zelensky and this unlimited money pile? What's happening with the weapons that are getting distributed in other clandestine ways? Well, uh, unfortunately, the weapons, uh, the NATO weapons uh, that's delivered from the NATO countries are getting uh, resold to uh, different countries through the black market. 
And uh, the worst uh, that happens with it is actually uh, what happened on December 30th. Uh, the Russian city Belgorod was attacked. Uh, innocent people were attacked uh, by the by those weapons belgorod is a city in the south of the middle part of russia uh, with a population of just over 330,000 people there are no military facilities uh, decision making centers or locations of russian military personnel in the city but despite this the town is regularly subjected to shelling by the ukrainian armed forces and attacks by sabotage groups since the end of December last year, the Ukrainian military has made at least four attempts to shell Belgorod. Unfortunately, not all of them were able to be um, uh, to be intercepted and prevented. Over the past 30 days, at least 26 people have become victims of Ukrainian shelling, five of whom are underage children. Um, according to various data, more than 150 people have been injured. All the victims were civilians. Uh, they were engaged in pre-holiday business, ice skating with children, and spending time in parks in the city center. In a matter of minutes, by the decision of psychopath Zelensky, one of the main family and kind holidays of the year turned into a day of remembrance and mourning for those who died and suffered in Belgorod. Abandoned strollers, cries of the wounded and tears of children will forever be imprinted in the memory of the residents and of the whole Russia, actually. And women saving their babies under the bursts of cluster shells became another eternal symbol of the city. Today it's well known that uh, Zelensky regime used weapons and ammunition which were transferred to Kyiv by NATO countries to shell and kill civilians of Belgorod. We are talking about multiple rocket launches made in Czech Republic and shells from Slovakia. The NATO weapons transferred to Ukraine are being used by the latter without any security guarantees. Kyiv has not only broken its earlier promise not to use European and United States weapons to attack Russian territory, but has also fragrantly disregarded international humanitarian law, which prohibits uh, indiscriminate attacks on civilian objects. Responsibility for the shelling of Belgorod and the killing of civilians lies entirely with NATO country, which continues to build illusions and deny their complicity in the crimes committed by Kyiv. This is comparable to if the EU countries had provided Osama bin Laden and members of, of the terrorist organization Al-Qaeda with arms and ammunition before September 11th. The citizens of the Czech Republic, Slovakia and other Western countries that are hostile to Russia must understand and realize what their money is being spent on and what terrible crimes their governments are involved in. I would like to emphasize that the recent attacks on Belgorod and civilian casualties are not the consequences of strikes on military targets, but nothing but a deliberate act of terrorism directed against civilians prepared and planned in advance by Zelensky gang. Russian responsible bodies have proven that British and American consultants 
who regularly push the authorities of the current Ukraine to commit bloody crimes against civilians, were directly involved in the organization of the Ukrainian strikes on Belgorod. Instead of finding ways to peacefully resolve the conflict, the United States and the United Kingdom continue to drag Russia and Ukraine deeper and further into a bloody war. However, responsibility for the crimes committed lies with the countries of the collective West, which despite the inhumanity and cold-bloodedness of the attacks, continue to pump Kiev with arms. It's necessary to bring to justice all the organizers and perpetrators, not only of this, but also of all the crimes of the Kiev regime against the civilian population. All responsible governments and international specialized structures should not only apologize and strongly condemn this brutal terrorist attack, what usually UN does, only condemns, which was carried out with the cluster munitions banned in most Western countries, but also publicly distance themselves and refuse to support the Zelensky regime. It's um, really, really hard to uh, fathom that uh, the so-called victim in all of this can behave in such a way in Ukraine. And of course, uh, when you put a war like going on and you've got NATO piling up country after country and virtually unlimited funds, it, it's hard not for these types of horrible scenarios to occur. How do you feel now when that there is a battle again to battle this injustice? How do you hope to be able to bring awareness, much like what you're doing today on this show and other shows that you appear around the world, for people in the West in particular to understand that these crimes actually go on? Is there any other way or are there any other people or is even the Russian government able to get this news out or is it grassroots organisations such as yourself is the only way that we can tell these stories? Uh, likely, uh, we do have allies all over the world who understands what's happening and supports our work and supports our voices to be out and to be heard. And it's the only way, isn't it? It's just a case of good old hard it is. work. It is. It it's absolutely is. All what we can do uh, at this current moment with the situation, with the global situation, is just bringing attention and awareness to what's happening and what's going on. All what we can do, we can just uh, put the light on what's happening and uh, show the truth. And this is it. It's uh, an extraordinary uh, situation where we still don't really understand why or how this war is going on. And as you said, the UN just makes a, a condemnation. Uh, I'm still shocked at when um, uh, the when the Russians, um, uh, the UN Security Council heard from the Russians uh, when they explained about the bio labs that were found in Ukraine and were just sort of met with deaf ears. There was no interest uh, in what was going on there. And it feels like that the UN um, is is very, very selective when it wants to be. And so you can't uh, you can't seem to get through unless the world is demanding for something to happen. We've seen even the attempts with the um, the fighting in Palestine, uh, the, the, the attempts for these resolutions over and over again, and they still get blocked all of the time. Only last week at Mira on this show, I had um, a, an Australian professor, Ramesh Thakur, who uh, served once as an assistant secretary general at the UN under Kofi Annan. And he described the United Nations 
Nations as um, the intersection of where reality meets idealism. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting perspective on, on exactly what the UN is. Many people are disappointed and disillusioned with the UN as a globalist organisation pushing globalist measures. But here we are on the other side, uh, just trying to get a story out. And we probably can't even depend on the United Nations at any level to be able to bring truth to these stories. If we circle back, though, and talk about um, the uh, it's one thing to attack civilians, and that's a big story on its own. But of course, the other story here is the uh, illegal weapons trading and, 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 and black market trading of virtually unlimited amounts of weapons that are, that are going on. How bad is that situation? And is there any possible way that these weapons can be tracked or stopped? Or is it just another illegal industry that is just too big now to track? And, and the only way is to simply just keep it in, in, in the front of people's minds to understand that it really does go on unfortunately it does go on and the uh, business is huge uh, because in between january 24th 2022nd and july 31st 2023rd western countries allocated 254.36 billion to ukraine on which 98.74 uh uh, billion dollars for military needs and uh, the majority uh, like the, the huge part of these weapons is actually uh, uh, going to the black market those weapons end up in those regions of Africa Asia the Middle East and Latin America where the political situation is also extremely unstable so those weapons are actually uh, helping to create more military conflicts uh, around the whole world uh, like for example, Nigerian President Mohamed uh, Buhari expressed concern over the total lack of control over the flow of arms supplied to the black continent from Ukraine, with uh, subsequent distribution to uh, militants uh, of the terrorist groups uh, such as IS, Al-Qaeda, in order to inflame the political situation in the Middle East and uh, African uh, region. And uh, we actually did the investigation about uh, who are the major uh, beneficiaries and who are, who is involved in the uh, weapon trafficking to, through the black market. And uh, it's also interesting why Ukraine is so desperate for keeping Odessa because Odessa is the port city. And... Uh, uh, the main routes of black export of Western weapons are sea transportation from the ports of Odessa, Mykolaiv, and Ismail. Often the loading of Western weapons is carried out at night under the goose of grain. In other words, Ukraine is implementing a grain deal for the illegal export of Western arms under the goose of carrying out a noble humanitarian mission to provide the poorest countries in Africa with vital grain. Ukraine is, in fact, trading the death and um, uh, who involved in this is interesting because uh, according to data that the uh, Foundation to Battle and Justice was able to um, obtain one of the key individuals covering the black schemes for the uh, resale of Western arms is uh, Brigadier General 
Timothy Crossland of the United Kingdom Army. He's responsible for the arms transfer to Ukraine and logistics. General Crossland actually acts as one of the leading me, uh, mediators between the West and Ukraine on arms transfers and is directly involved in arms transfers to Ukraine at the NATO Air Force Base in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany, where the organization plans to continue to grow and remain in the long term. And he is actually the one who was responsible uh, for the uh, weapons to transfer to Syria, for example. Uh, another man who is uh, responsible for this is Mark Mar Morales. He is one of the key mediators of the illegal re-export of Western arms from Ukraine as well. And uh, um, uh, he uh, is uh, also delivering uh, weapons not only to Ukraine, but uh, to other hotspots and uh, yeah, intermediary, uh, intermediary of illegal arms uh, re-export schemes. And uh, he was uh, previously responsible for supplying arms to Syrian terrorists, whom the West called moderate opposition to Assad, fierce fighters against the government of Bashar al-Assad. According to separate reports, Morales uh, has had trading relations with um uh, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, he has extensive connections around the world, has access to high-ranking officials and leaders of illegal armed groups in Africa and Middle East. Genian merchant of death, Mark Morales, who uh, was slandered by the American justice system and demonized by the U.S. media, really armed the most bloody and odious criminals and terrorists of the globe. Quite incredible, isn't it? Uh, now, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with uh, Mira Tarada of the uh, Foundation to Battle Injustice. You're watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT. TNT Radio's Joe Hoft. Just a terrible situation there and Biden was behind it pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went, to, I bet you more than 50% didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. Since, since, well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God, but under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism. And, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two of them attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. 
Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Weekends. And this hour, I'm speaking to Mira Tarada. Mira, before the break, we mentioned a little bit about the United Nations and the Security Council. Have you had any involvement with that organisation in terms of uh, your perspective and work that you're doing yourself? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, within 2023, uh, I was able to participate at the security meetings at the UN twice uh, on different subjects. Uh, the first uh, meeting was in May, the one that I participated in, and it was dedicated to um, the rights of uh, religious believers and servicemen of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Ukraine because uh, the uh, re- the priests and the religious people are persecuted just for their faith over there. And uh, uh, the last meeting I participated uh, in was in November, and it was dedicated to the children and the violated rights of children, children that are taken uh, from the war zones to the uh, third countries, mostly to the EU countries, and they've been sold from out there to the different regions. Uh, they've been used, abused, and uh, so on. So the issue that I faced over there was, uh, both times, was actually very uh, horrific because uh, those meetings are based on Formula Area where you can show videos and pictures. And uh, uh, the members of the Security Council were coming with the prepared answers even before they saw what we have to show them. So basically, they come with the written answer uh, according to their agenda that they are reading over there. But the uh, most interesting part is that they do their work by reading what they uh, prepared. But uh, after the meeting, they actually do have their personal opinion. And usually they even uh, show support to the topics and to Russian work or like humanitarian work that we do. And this is interesting. So basically, uh, UN turned out and uh, representatives at the UN turned out as the puppets of their government were or like speaking heads, you know, where they just read what's been written, but they actually carry inside themselves completely different idea. Why they do this? Why they why they still do this work? Uh, there are only two reasons why this can be. The first reason, uh, because it doesn't resonate with them, the work that they do, like they're willing to do whatever it says for the money. And the second opinion that uh, I personally have, it might be subjective, but it's because they are scared. Because I have uh, many people that I work with in the United States, our colleagues, who saying that the United States, unfortunately, became the country of the fear. Many people are so feared to speak out, to say what's happening. They're drowning in propaganda. They're calling me to find out what news in Russia, what actual news are, what the situation in Moscow is, how people feel about this or that. And uh, in 21st century, where uh, we live in the 
century of the information where any information can be delivered within a second from one side of the world to another one. It's ridiculous to know that they cannot get any actual up-to-date information, truthful information, and all what they get is propaganda. They do realize what it is and they cannot do anything about it. They are powerless and they are full of fear. It's uh, in incredibly sad, isn't it, to think that the so-called land of the free, home of the brave, is anything but today. Now, in Australia, and only just last week, I was reading mainstream news and a, an independent journalist wrote an article um, talking and, 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 of course, trying to, it was turned out to be it, to what I would call ignorant propaganda. This journalist, uh, a freelancer, was trying to say that Putin bad and Ukraine good, and he used the argument that Vladimir Putin said that he was going to denazify Ukraine. And this particular journalist immediately dismissed that point because he said that Vladimir Zelensky is Jewish. Now, has he forgotten all of what goes on in Ukraine, or is that just willful ignorance to again peddle just silly lies because of the obvious? I mean, what is the Azov Battalion, for example? Uh, the Azov Battalion is a prohibited organization. It's a neo-Nazi organization now serving the SBU uh, and uh, killing people it's a terrorist organization pretty much and uh, it, you see in the case of this journalist unfortunately this is also the issue that is happening with journalism uh, the, the journalist is the messenger all what the journalist should do just to deliver the facts but when someone is taking sides and trying to push their opinion this is already not the journalism the whole idea is to let the audience to make their decision you know people have the right uh, to make decision and people have the right to the free thinking at least and uh, journalists like that they are taking that right away from people and uh, in a situation uh, with Zelensky being Jewish uh, I did not see him serving a ceremony at the Jewish temple uh what he is doing to the religion specifically is trying to separate and break the church apart uh creating a new religion inside the country actually preparing to the whole of this situation because i've been speaking to some of the people and they were telling me that the new temples that were built before they built it and architecture is that shape that if you will uh, take off the orthodox cross from the temple it will turn out to the Catholic temple, which is, you know, Catholicism was trying to come to Ukraine uh, within the whole presidentship of Zelensky, and Zelensky wanted that. So I don't think that Zelensky is really Jewish. I don't think he is Orthodox. Uh, there is very mean phrase to people like that you know he seems like a religious prostitute like he would go where it will be paid to him or he is serving money he is serving evil he is serving satan and he has nothing to do with any religion in the way of the uh, purity and uh, truth you know as we know it according to the uh, 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 holy bible you know or Quran, or whatever that would be, according to what uh, actual religious people, Orthodox people do believe. So with uh, that, uh, I don't think Zelensky really cares, and, uh, you know, his uh, Jewish roots have anything to do. And, like, we can see what is happening right now in between uh, Israel and Palestine, and uh, 
that's another thing, you know, where you can see the sides in, in, in this global situation with all these uh, pieces of chairs, how it's standing. So unfortunately, uh, I, will, I will have to strongly disagree with that journalist. And, and this is the uh, the interesting point, isn't it? It's the it's the inability of uh, so-called uh, journalist investigators that don't really want to get to the bottom of the story and present their biases. And in this particular case, in, in, in the second paragraph of the story, almost immediately dismissing. And when you read that in the mainstream news, you scratch your head. And uh, for someone like me, you, you still read through and see what, what other uh, things are coming out. But you can see how many people would just read that and then move on. Oh, OK. Well, clearly anyone who's uh, telling us that uh, Putin is can possibly even be the good guy in all of this is a liar. And this is the part of this whole problem is that we can't get the accurate information. And so I guess um, an interesting point now halfway through our, our chat today was to ask you um, in the lead up to the uh, election in Russia, what is the mood on the ground in the country today? Um, you, you hear Western media telling us that Putin is sick, Putin is going to be discarded, he's going to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera. But when you actually watch what's going on, he looks younger and fitter and stronger than he ever has been with absolutely uh, no no reason, certainly in the middle of this particular war and the world being restructured from a unipolar superpower into a multipolar world by the BRICS Association. What, what are people thinking in Russia today? Uh, the majority of people are supporting uh, the current president, Vladimir Putin. That's what the official surveys show as well. Uh, people that I talk to, the majority of them are supporting him. And you should see how less than a month ago, uh, the officer uh, offered Vladimir Putin to actually uh, be one of the candidates for the next election. And Vladimir Putin agreed to that. And... Uh, he has uh, people that are supporting him, the, uh, the team uh, that, uh, you know, gathered together to, uh, in order to uh, arrange people and stand up people to support him as well. And those are uh, the main leaders in the country in the different industries and fields. It seems that country is uh, prospering and uh, he has that major support that makes me think that he may become the uh, next president. He may keep his position. And uh, uh, Putin is also associates uh, for many Russians as a stability, as a prosperity, as a growth safety, even though what's happening with Belgorod uh, currently, uh, people are not blaming um, special military operation or uh, Putin himself in this because they do understand what the sad reality is. Uh, majority of people supported uh, the decision that's been made uh, a year and a half when it was decided uh, to make LDPR uh, as a part of Russia and include other new regions uh, to Russia. So uh, likely, you know, people are sharing the same opinions as the country's leaders are. And I guess it's, uh, you know, completely different what the Western media are trying to show. Uh, I have not seen him sick. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know him personally, but all, what we see on TV or on the news or press conferences, he seems, as you said, healthy and strong. And uh, I wish him uh, to remain like that in the future.
And interestingly, of course, there is the International Criminal Court that uh, was listing these charges because they claimed that Putin was taking Ukrainian children and moving them out. Uh, and, and you would think that if this was the case, it was to protect them, because part of what Putin has alluded to is that Ukraine is a hub for a bunch of different criminal activity, not least of which would be human trafficking. Where does Putin stand in terms of protecting the children? And are we being denied the actual, <coughs> pardon me, natural justice of Putin? And, um, being able to free um, children that are uh, being sold perhaps in Ukraine? Well, uh, about International Criminal Court, it's a separate story. I think it needs to be reformated and seriously rethought, uh, established as a universal body of international criminal justice. The ICC actually has become outdated, uh, ineffective, and biased. In the current geopolitical environment, this international judicial institution has become an obvious political profanation, which instead of investigating the real war crimes, such as the U.S. invasion of Iraq, for example, or Afghanistan, and a number of other countries in the Middle East, is engaged in straightening uh, the dictates of a group of Anglo-Saxon countries. And I've seen myself personally uh, working with the victims of different uh, war crimes, how their petitions to the ICC were denied. Uh, uh, and uh, those witnesses were either African or they were from LDPR, which ICC does not recognize. So what, the, like, you don't recognize LDPR, and that means the, those people who live there, they're not humans, they don't deserve their rights to be protected when it's violated. This is what I don't understand completely. And for me, that institution is completely dead and must be replaced. Like if uh, with the UN situation, uh, at least I understand the need um, of this organization, and uh, uh, Russia being a part of this organization because we have the right of veto in it, uh, I, uh, ICC must be completely re-established and uh, demounted. And uh, about the children's situation, we work uh, on children cases uh, already not the first year. And uh, Russia actually, uh, compared to um, European countries, for example, who do say that uh, like we had cases, for example, how Poland took some Ukrainian children to the uh, children camp, you know, for the summer break or whatever, to take them away uh, from Ukraine. And they explained to save those children, uh, to, th to save their lives. And one of the girls were, was who was the Ukrainian girl, a uh, teenager girl who was in that camp, she was recording uh, where they stayed. So they stayed at the big gym room and uh, they had a very tiny beds, like, um, you know, the, the beds that uh, you would fold. It's like a coat, you mm -hmm. know, a folding bed, camp bed. And they were just standing uh, one next to each other at the gym room, you know, and that's where the, those children were sleeping. Nobody even took them for a walk for all this time. They were locked inside. So that reminded me actually, uh, you know, more as of prison. And I do have something to compare with. It's like a teenager prison. But like, as I know, the children who were taken temporary to Russia, because all of them, they were returned to their uh, parents, to their uh, homes uh, after when they were found, you know, and after the situation at their region where they used to be uh, stabilized. Uh, if they went to the camp, I saw those videos as well. 
children were living in uh, perfect conditions. They were taken for a walk. They've been studying. They had gifts. They were able to travel. They were completely free. Their papers never been changed. Citizenship never been changed unless obtained the new citizenship as a second, you know, the Russian as a second citizenship. So the conditions I'm talking about comparing this are completely different. It's always easy to accuse, you know, uh, someone in something where your hands are bloody, dirty all the way, like till the, to, uh, to the shoulders. It was easy to uh, offense uh Vladimir Putin and Maria Lvova Belova, uh, who uh, protects children's rights um, in Russia, because uh, they were able to get that video, because there was a video made by the federal news about how they were saving those children, uh, which is, uh, they were doing nothing bad. The only difference is that the Western countries, NATO countries, when they're taking children away, they never make any videos. And uh, they don't do that. Why? because they don't want a poor evidence, bad, I mean, not poor evidence, but bad evidence, evidence that will not benefit them to be out. This video was made by the federal news agency to show how it is, to show how we love children, to show how we treat them, to show how we protect them. And uh, we know uh, all different kinds of stories when NATO countries were taking children away. When that uh, crisis happened several months ago in uh, Niger, uh, when French contingent took Nigerian children to France and we made investigation based on it. You know what happened? I was accused of all kinds of things uh, all over the European news, uh, the French news, the Belgium news, put my picture on top of it and like the headlines were screaming, this woman will return Niger to Russia. Like Niger was ever Russian, you know. So in this case, they were trying even to throw the seed of the argument in between Niger and Russia knowing how African countries love Russian presence in Africa because we know what partnership is, what equality is, what respect is. What France, for example, is doing, they're trying to make neo-colonies out of African countries. They are trying to come and take their resources and make slaves out of African people who are very strong, very smart, and very independent and can be prosper uh, if they will be treated the correct, right way as uh, partners and as the equal uh, nation. I'm so glad that you brought up Africa. It's a, it's an area that is underexplored in terms of Russia's ability to unite the African continent and work to restore and to bring wealth to the continent. I want to talk to you about that after the break. In the meantime, we will take that break now. You're watching and listening to Weekends with Jason Alborn here on TNT. I said could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. 
Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor Service and help save lives in the bush. The intersection of information and conversation. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. In this hour, I'm speaking to the Foundation to Battle Injustice's very own Mira Tarada. And before the break, we were talking about the influence that Russia has had in Africa and once again are being criticised for the work that they are doing. Instead of trying to colonise or make a colonial Africa, Russia's going the other way and trying to give the independence and the ability for African nations to be able to develop their own wealth through minerals and resources, etc., And it seems that once again, the West is trying to tell us that this is not the case. Mira, tell us a little bit more about what Russia is actually trying to do with Africa to develop the people and the nations on the continent. Well, there are companies, for example, uh, private companies uh, like uh, oil, gas, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, financial and so on, that are working with the companies in Africa, showing their ways and sh uh, how they deal with, uh, you know, with their business, sharing their experiences, trying to adjust uh, that experience in Africa to African mentality and culture, opening their offices over there, uh, giving more works more resources you know helping with medical aid for example there are a bunch of medical organizations opening schools you know so they're trying to develop africa if you would uh, go back to the ussr time you would remember how many african people were coming to ussr and getting education at the university at the universities uh the uh, people who are uh, i would say uh, close to their 50s for example Many of them do speak Russian language because they studied that language coming to Russia. So this uh, friendship between African countries and Russia is a long-term relationship and long-term friendship. And uh, uh, we do have a good understanding due to the way how we treat each other, due to the way how we do understand each other, each other's needs. And what's more, most important, we do not violate uh, the independence and sovereignty of those countries so they they know that they are free they are respected and they are supported it's a very big deal isn't it because in the west we seem to be on a one track train track to hell in a globalist idea it seems that our sovereignty of our individual western nations is questioned we uh, have things like uh, the virus the pandemic followed by climate change and any other excuse possible to uh, not be able to be in control of our own destinies to be told how to live our lives and is it any wonder that africa has rejoiced in the fact that they are being promoted in the way to maintain their sovereignty and what that does is it leads us into the next chapter of our discussion today and and that is the um, the creation and the extension of the BRICS group of nations. It's now expanded uh, from its original five to include more nations that were added uh, on January 1 of this year. Uh, and it seems that there are many African nations knocking on the door to get in. What it has shown us here in the West, that the idea of this unipolar world led by the superpower of the United States is being fractured in a way that there is a resistance, starting with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and therefore expanding. And when you put these BRICS groups of nations together, you're almost at half of the world's landmass, at half of the world's GDP. And 
and uh, and half of the world's population when you start to put this this small cluster of groups together and you realize that it's already more powerful than the uh than the G20 this is a significant uh development now um how are people in Russia seeing this? Is this a changing of the guard um, or, or is it just a, another work in progress and just another organization? Well, I actually uh, became uh, a member of uh, nonprofit organization BRICS Leaders. Uh, so I know a little bit about uh, BRICS countries, and uh, I'm glad that other five joined uh, the uh, BRICS uh, on January 1st this year. And there are more countries because besides BRICS, there is BRICS Plus and there is BRICS Plus Plus. Uh, and BRICS Plus Plus includes like uh, over 90 countries that are waiting to join BRICS. And what's interesting about BRICS, and I love this part, because there are no official documents reg regulating the relations of the countries. It shows how countries' leaders can just sit down at the same table and come to an agreement, come to the conclusion, again, with respect, without any domination, without any fin uh, uh, fear, without any uh, military conflict, you know, where like they just will take over the country, like how, uh, how like US, for example, likes to or invade the country. And this is, uh, this is the best part of all of it. And it shows the world how relationship between uh, country leaders and countries must be done, you know, in, in the modern world in order to prosper and to develop. That is interesting, isn't it? Because the criticism that we hear in the West about BRICS is the lack of documentation, constitutions and rules. And what you're saying is it's in fact the exact opposite. It's an opportunity to bring like-mindedness and realistically a resistance to Western hegemony and go the other way and say, hang on a second, no, this is a, a group of, for cooperation and we can develop anything that we want. It goes against everything that we've been programmed to believe again in the West. And here you are saying the opposite. Tell me, um, what's it like being part of this BRICS leaders organisation? What is the mood amongst this organisation of young people? Uh, the mood is very positive. Uh, people are, uh, what's, what you said earlier, and it's very important, everyone is like-minded and we all have the same goal. It's amazing to find like-minded people overseas, you know, from the BRICS countries, and it just helps you to create more projects, to develop uh, both countries, to share their experiences, to learn new languages, because this is another amazing thing, you know, just developing yourself, knowing more and more languages, which is making your brain think different ways. And when you're talking about the West criticizing uh, BRICS for the lack of the documentation, I think that they are criticizing because they are actually in fear of seeing how powerful it is and how much support it has all over the world. And why do they want documents? Because as long as you have any uh, official organization, you know, or any document, it will be so easy for them to uh, drop more sanctions, you know, on this organization. How can you sanction BRICS now? Well, it's not going to be very easy, you know, but like if you will have an organization or any, you know, every documentation always have has a gap, you know, and that's what the West is looking for. They want BRICS to have documents in order to find that gap and uh, impact it with some, you know, punishment or whatever, like, because, Unfortunately, the West is still, uh, you know, centuries uh, uh, back in a time uh, 
uh, in the in the mind frame you know they are locked in the th- in the thinking that it has to be the higher nation and then there are slaves and uh, this higher nation uh, is like an empire is running the whole world in the current world it doesn't work like this because it uh, you know it, it has to be the new uh, world order it has to be created the new architecture of international security and develop uh, development which will be the basis for ending genocide and establishing peace not only in Ukraine and Palestine but also in the whole world and for that there must be steps done and they see that these steps are done right now by BRICS countries and it makes them feel that their days are, you know are less and less left because they are coming to the end because more people see how it's good and how beautiful it is and uh, you know uh, they see more perspectives in being a part of BRICS than being a part of G20 or uh, uh, European Union. Uh, there are many countries already do regret of being a part of EU because now uh, poverty is uh, everywhere, you know, and they're not uh, that happy. And as I know, Finland, for example, became a part of the European Union because of the financial crisis that was like, you know, created. Uh, it was not organic crisis. It was created, and it, the Finland was pushed to become a part of the EU in order to survive. And it, again, it's uh, not the way how in BRICS countries act toward each other. It's mutual support, mutual respect, and independence, sovereignty. And uh, the reaction to Finland joining NATO as it borders onto Russia, how was that received? It was expected because, to be honest with you, it was only an official uh, move as, you know, uh, NATO countries, they like bureaucracy, they like all that paperwork, but uh, actually, technically, uh, Finland was already a part of NATO. Uh, When I was in prison in Finland, when I was arrested in 2018, I remember in 2019, 50,000 American soldiers appeared in Finland to do some kind of trainings. And back then, I didn't even understand the meaning of all of it. And I just started understanding like when all this global situation and changes started. So uh, the presence of NATO was in Finland many years ago. And now they just officially joined it. So it didn't change much. We already knew what was happening and we were prepared for this. Now... This is an interesting question, a bit of a curveball for you, but the 20th century was characterised by the inability of, uh, well, the, the idea that sport and politics didn't mix. And, of course, as we move along and we are now in 2024, an Olympic year, and Russia once again is being excluded from the Olympic Games from competing as a consequence of the Ukraine war. Russia has had an incredible um, ability to produce wonderful athletes over that period of time. I wanted to ask you, what is the sentiment or is there even an interest anymore in the Olympic Games and competing on a world stage from a Russian perspective? Well, I think our sportsmen have to participate in whatever competition they can participate. And uh, what actually uh, other countries do by excluding Russian sportsmen, uh, by not letting them to participate with the flag, you know, and with the hymn, uh, it actually makes them uh, look small. Because all those are democratic countries talking about, again, democracy. And uh, this all seems like Russia is being 
discriminated. What do Russian sportsmen have to do with the politics? Nothing. But, uh, you know, Western countries are making sport as a part of the politics. Uh, like Ukrainian sportsmen, they don't want to shake the hand of Russian sportsmen. Okay, don't, you know, but uh, like making it so... You know, to, to me, it seems so miserable, like so tiny, like you cannot do much to Russia. So I'm going to do just just this, just a little bit of this. But like uh, in Russia, we have this uh, funny uh, saying uh, about mother and a child uh, and about the head. Uh, it says, um, uh, let me translate it. It says to uh, to spite my mother, uh, I, I will freeze my uh, my ears to spite my mother. Basically, I'm not going to wear the hat and freeze my ears just to make sure that like I spite my mother. And this is exactly what the Western countries are doing right now. They're not doing any be uh, better to themselves by sanctioning Russian because it only uh, the sanctions only hit them. You know, many for foreigners uh, who are coming to Russia to do their business uh, or do journalism, they come and they are impressed. Uh, they impressed with Christmas decoration, with all the lights all over the, uh, you know, um, shopping malls and so on. They are impressed with the, you know, prices of hot water, oil, electricity. And they say, this is not what we see on the West. You know, this is not what it's shown to us because nobody wants to show uh, what is happening. Uh, being afraid that immigration from the Western countries is going to increase. There are so many American people who moved to Russia for the past several years. There are even priests, like there is Father uh, Joseph Gleason, for example, who left the United States in 2016 uh, because he didn't want his six children to be raised in the United States because uh, there were, uh, you know, um, single-sex mar uh, marriages approved, and he was afraid about that. You know, there are so many changes, you know, in the world that people, and in the United States, that people are disagree because it seems that minorities are becoming the majorities. All this white guilt thing in, in United States, you know, it be became tremendous amounts. All this, uh, if now, if you... Um, if you uh, get sexual, you know, you are the minority and you are bad now. Uh, something is wrong with you. It, there is a saying that, uh, like, by, uh, by standing for somebody's rights, another side may lose their rights. And this is what's happening again. Like, sometimes it just gets, it, it, it seems like it's only black and white. There is no middle, you know. There is no respect for both sides. If, uh, you know, I think, like, you cannot give the rights to one group and take the, those rights away from another group. Give them even rights, and that will be fair. But unfortunately, United States, uh, I'm talking about this country now specifically, uh, doesn't know how to do it. All what it knows is it, it has to be a majority and minority. It has to be weak and strong, and uh, it has to be poor and rich, and there is no equality. It's an extraordinary story, isn't it, to think that the West has led in terms of freedom and now the West has turned upside down and it is the BRICS group of nations led by countries such as Russia that are changing it and are attracting people from the West where everyone went a generation or two ago. Unfortunately, we're going to run out of time, but very, very quickly, if we've only got about a minute to go, I just wanted to ask you, what is the hope or the end game for Russia to finish this war in Ukraine? 
uh, all the wars always end at the negotiating table. So it has to be the will of uh, all sides uh, in this conflict. And unfortunately, uh, Ukraine as a country lost its own will. And uh, we are waiting now for the will of the beneficiaries of this war. I wouldn't say it's a specific country. I would say it's more elites that are interested in having all those wars around the world. And until they come to this negotiation table, unfortunately, it will go on. But we are all hoping for the soonest end and for saving as many lives as possible. And uh, coming out of this was the less damage, hoping for the peace, for the prosperity, for all the best. Thank you, Mia. Amira, that is a wonderful way to conclude our interview today. I want to thank you, Mira Tarada, for being on the show today. We're going to take news headlines and we'll be back with a brand new guest after the break here on TNT. TNT.